It's pop culture reference. I'm Ricardo Salgado. I'm Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother. We got a lot to do today. Yeah, that's exactly right, Seamus. Up first, as it seems like we have pretty much every week now, we have news of another celebrity passing. David Prowse, famed bodybuilder, probably most famous for being the guy in the suit when they were filming all the Darth Vader scenes in the original trilogy. He was also in Stanley Kubrick's Clockwork Orange. I always notice him in A Clockwork Orange as that beefcake guy who helps the writer up and down the stairs, but I never actually realized that was him until the other day looking up at his credits, because, you know, I really only know him by name for Darth Vader. He also trained Carrie Elways to get in shape for The Princess Bride. What? That is a piece of trivia that is that is very interesting. I never heard about that. Mm-hmm. A big pop cultural footprint, for sure. Yeah, I know he had that documentary where he was the main focus of like being the forgotten face of Darth Vader that I heard was pretty great. I Am Your Father, I think it's called, yeah. I Am Your Father. I, I, I definitely need to check that out now, more than ever, I guess. And in other celebrity news, congratulations to Elliot Page, star of Inception and Juno, for coming out as transgender this week. Yeah, absolutely huge congratulations. I think this is one of the first, if not the first, major film star to come out as transgender while still, you know, in the height of their career. I'm interested to see how this is going to change the landscape a little bit for casting roles that have more to do with the trans or LGBT community, because I know there's been a lot of controversy around that, and, you know, major stars like Scarlett Johansson in the past, so this is going to be a very new frontier for things like that. Up next, we've got some casting news. Haley Steinfeld has joined Hawkeye as Kate Bishop, and also Florence Pugh will be in the series reprising her role from the upcoming Black Widow movie. I like Haley Steinfeld, and I think this will be interesting to see. Warner Brothers will be sending their entire 2021 theatrical slate to streaming on HBO Max the same day that they're released in theaters. So this is a huge list of movies that include headliners like Wonder Woman and Dune. It's really changing the game. Obviously, Warner Brothers was not happy with the way that Tenet performed, and so, in response, have decided to kill the movie theater industry. I mean, that kind of is the subtitle of of this headline here, but when I heard about all this and saw that list coming to my very living room, you know, I was just relieved. It's an answer to me having the belief that I would, like, never see a topical movie again until there was COVID vaccine and, like, how things are going with that worldwide when theaters would even be safe to go inside again. But this kind of at least alleviates some of that for the next year that I know that I'll still be able to consume something new instead of trying to just pick up whatever is being dropped because... That's just what's out. I think the trick is that this is good for the consumer in that it allows people to see the content that they're interested in seeing right now in a safe way. But ultimately, I don't see a way back from this. Like, once people are able to watch movies in their living room when they come out in theaters, if this idea makes money, I don't see the market walking back from that and that's where i'm starting to see a lot of the trouble come in because i too am excited about the premise of being able to watch these movies and let me run down real quick the movies that we've got coming godzilla vs kong the suicide squad the conjuring 3 the devil made me do it space jam 2 
In the Heights, Wonder Woman 1984, Dune, The Matrix 4, Those Who Wish Me Dead, The Little Things, The Many Saints of Newark, which is the Sopranos prequel movie, Mortal Kombat, Tom and Jerry, Reminiscence, Malignant, Judas and the Black Messiah, and King Richard. That's a big list. That's a lot. That is a huge list. I mean, I'm excited for most of those movies. Yeah, I'm obviously they're going to spread them out pretty well, but I'm already thinking about how I'll get to watch so many more movies now. God. Stock has obviously taken a huge hit in movie theater chains, like a huge hit. And I do think that after things are open safely again, there will be a huge uptick in people wanting to go do things. And I think movie theaters will receive a pretty big boost from that. But I don't know how much that's going to sustain. I really think it's going to come down to the idea of making going to the movie theater more of a spectacle again. It's going to be definitely hitting on a lot more of those, you know, Tarantino road shows or Christopher Nolan big IMAX events. It's going to have to rely on big things like that if it is going to become more of a regular thing to just have anything new at your fingertips in your living room on your own tv but it's gonna have to be something like that to to draw in because i liked wonder woman i don't think i would be that like i don't care that much to see it in a theater 1984 you know so i can't believe i'm gonna say this unironically could james cameron save cinema uh, (laughs) i'm not really joking because once again as we always say on this show it is a stupid, stupid thing to bet against James Cameron. It really is. I mean, I'm trying to even think of something that could go toe-to-toe with Avatar 2 in terms of, like, big event status. They're going to make one hell of a racket about it in the marketing. Tenant is kind of gone now unless they're going to keep it around just to show it off on IMAX as much as possible. But Well, that's the irony of all this is that Christopher Nolan was so foolishly devoted to what he thought was the preservation of the theatrical experience that he inadvertently helped manufacture a detrimental blow to the entire industry he monkey pawed himself man he really did universal has announced that they are currently working with james wan producing and julius avery who directed overlord directing a van helsing reboot not a full reboot though a reimagining within the same world of the previous Hugh Jackman Van Helsing movie. So what you're saying is that Hugh Jackman is reprising his role? They didn't say that. What? That makes it even more confusing. I've never seen that movie. I would like to see that movie. I mean, I didn't hate it. I saw it for the first time not too long ago, and I just genuinely am a sucker for Hugh Jackman, but, like, I thought it was okay. I think if you have a star as big as Hugh Jackman that already is kind of associated with that name, I think their idea is that they can almost, like, Deadpool it, where, you know, Deadpool and Ryan Reynolds obviously did not go well in Wolverine, but that doesn't mean that it isn't a good idea. So that if they hire a talented director, which we know Julius Avery is, with the oversight of James Wan, who is a super producer, you could actually have yourself a pretty decent film with the star power of Hugh Jackman behind it. So I think this is a pretty smart move, all things considered. If we can get some more insane practical special effects out of a vampire movie then i'm i'm never gonna be one to complain it also wouldn't surprise me and i know you boys aren't gonna like this 
I could see this movie being like some kind of Van Helsing adjacent like somebody is trying to pick up where van helsing left off and you have a different lead for most of the movie and then at the end van helsing shows up nick fury style and then we have our backdoor to the dark universe oh no the real joke is that it is you know not impossible we've got a couple of big pieces of casting news as we transition out of our movie news yes one Oscar Isaac has been officially cast as Solid Snake in Jordan Voke Roberts's Metal Gear Solid movie that seemed like it's been in production for a decade already, like pre-production. I think it's been around 13 or 14 years at this point that names for directors and leads have been bouncing around for this movie. I'm a massive Metal Gear Solid fan. That's like my number one go-to game series ever, and... Let me tell you guys, I'm frightened. I know, I love Oscar Isaac. It's just the concept of this movie going so spectacularly wrong is like, you know, probably about as likely as that Uncharted movie going spectacularly wrong. So I'm nervous, but cautiously optimistic. I tank a bridge with that for two reasons. One, Oscar Isaac is such a better pick for Solid Snake than Tom Holland is for Nathan Drake. Also... Jordan Vogt Roberts has been on this for, like, six years or something. He has been attached to this project since before he was even doing Kong, I think. He is clearly a huge, huge, huge fan of Metal Gear Solid. If you've ever heard him do an interview or seen him on Twitter or anything, he talks about it constantly. If you have his steady hand on the rudder of this film, and it's been there for a long time, not changing directors every three minutes like the Uncharted movie has been and he's a competent director, I think this could be good. I'm praying that that's the case. I know there's definitely a passion in him for this series, but I also I want to hedge my bets before I crush myself too badly. If anything else, there's that rumor that they're remaking all the games for PS5. So. Oh yeah, if that's the case, then you'll just never see me again, and you won't have to worry, so, so that'll be great. <laughs> in other video game news... Super Nintendo World is set to open at Universal Japan in 2021, and we've gotten our first official look inside the park, and it looks like a Mario game. Surprise, surprise. It's so impressive looking. I'd really get myself lost in a place like that. It's the same thing with like going to Star Wars Land at Disney. It's just, I, I want to be immersed in that kind of super specific video game sci-fi stuff. Well, the rumor is that if Nintendo World in Japan is successful enough, they'll probably be cloning it over to Universal Florida. Okay, boys, I think that wraps us up for news. Heads up, we're just going to talk spoilers for the entirety of our review of Mank. We're not going to draw a specific line. So we're going to have this conversation, assuming that anybody who cares to see Mank that will be listening has already seen it. Coming off the back of uh, last week's episode where we covered Citizen Kane, we're going to be covering David Fincher's new Netflix film, Mank. The story of Herman Mankiewicz as he attempts to write Citizen Kane for Orson Welles. So, overall impressions, what do you guys think of the movie? I really enjoyed it. I didn't know too much of what to expect out of it. It's a long David Fincher movie. And I mean, of course, I knew it was going to be good. It's David Fincher, and I love Gary Oldman. He obviously did fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed it. They're definitely leaning into that old Hollywood, His Girl Friday, and Citizen Kane style writing. I will say there were a few times where the movie leans so far into trying to feel like an old movie that it kind of took me 
out of it. Like, there were cigarette burns where the real changes should be on the film, and they intentionally made the audio a little bit more echoey and cut off some of the lower registers, which is how old films sound. Fincher is a filmmaker that really deliberately plots out every aspect of his filmmaking, so I'm sure there is a reason beyond, like, empty homage, but... I was having a hard time finding exactly where the thematic purpose of those choices came from. It took me a little bit out of what I thought was a really compelling and well-made film. I noticed the cigarette burns immediately as well, and I thought that was a nice little touch, because like you said, they are really trying to lean into this old Hollywood vibe, but after a while, after however many cigarette burns they go through in that movie, I was kind of just like, alright, yeah, there it is again. Oh, very, very Hollywood. I get it, I get it. Didn't bother me too much, but I definitely did notice it kind of drawing my attention. A thing that I kind of had a problem with is if you're gonna do cigarette burns and do that kind of lip service to old Hollywood films and just see movies on film... Why not shoot your movie on film? I was going to ask if... So this was not shot on film then? No, and it doesn't even look like it's shot on film. There are ways that you can grade digital cinematography to make it look more like film. You look at Knives Out, which obviously we talk about a lot on this show, and they did a lot of really intense math and science and invented new ways of color grading to make their digital photography look more like film. And I don't really understand why this movie is so clearly a movie shot on digital when they tried to adopt so much of the look and feel of film. That must have been what was kind of throwing me because it is obviously they're trying to go for a very Citizen Kane look, you know, very dark, darks bright lights on the cigarette smoke that's, you know, always billowing around people trying to get that kind of feel, and they throw in the cigarette burns for good measure, but like you said, there are ways to make that look a little more, like, classically shot. I don't want to get too hung up on the technical aspects of it, because I thought this movie was very compelling and very well written. It is much more interested in the psyche of Herman Mankiewicz how somebody who is so involved with all of the people that are clearly influencing the story of Citizen Kane, how he would come to write such a scathing indictment of their lifestyle, specifically when it comes to, of course, William Randolph Hearst, who is portrayed excellently by Charles Dance for really not having a lot of screen time. I thought he did a great job. I really only recognize him from Game of Thrones. There was also a couple really good Citizen Kane writing specific jokes that I thought were pretty funny that I would have gone right over my head. Yeah, they do a really good job of incorporating elements of Citizen Kane into the story and the visuals without making it feel heavy-handed. I also liked them talking about what the different studios were known for. They talk about gangster movies and Universal making horror films and stuff like that. I really There's enjoyed. that great pitch for that weird Frankenstein movie they're not trying to make. Also, did you guys recognize who was playing Upton Sinclair in his one scene? You see him from very far away at a rally. I, I remember the scene. He's a guy who's really into science. Is it Bill Nye? 
It was Bill what? Nye playing up to the same player. That is super weird. I feel like I I always recognize that guy. I'm not even the biggest fan of his, but like I was watching with my girlfriend Annie, and then they did the one close up of him. I was like, "Was that Bill Nye?" And she was like, "Did you not immediately <laughs> know from his voice that that was Bill Nye?" <laughs> Do we have final thoughts on Mank? We've pretty much said it again and again. Gary Oldman kills it. He's a fast talking, hard drinking big fun personality to have on screen in this movie and it kept me entertained and engaged the whole time absolutely i think it's worth a watch definitely if you haven't seen citizen kane in a while probably revisit that before you see this movie do you guys have a double feature that you think this would go well with citizen kane seems like the default here and i think that when we agree on what the official double feature is there's no way it's not (laughs) citizen kane but i will posit i do think that this would make an interesting double feature with fincher's last film about the power and toxicity of genius which is the social network huh that would be an interesting double up there I almost felt like when he was walking and talking real fast and like, you know, that snappy dialogue is just hitting you at every turn. Like a little bit out of Wolf of Wall Street of just like money, power, self-destruction, but like wrapped in really interesting to listen to dialogue. Okay, well, let's move on to Mulan. General thoughts on Mulan, it wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. That being said, you can only try to go in so many directions when it's a remake like this. And they were trying to go in like a, we want it to be familiar and for the people who like the old one to do it. It's got Disney live action remake syndrome. Did not need to be made. It really does. And I will say, I can say two of the three things that I liked about this movie in non-spoilers. Which are one, I think the color and cinematography, the entire look of the film is very nice. It was nice to have something with a color palette for once, because everything looks so gray and blue now. I think every movie is just so desaturated that this movie felt very vibrant. I also, I'll say it, I was glad to see Mushu gone. You bastard, you bastard. That's the thing, though. The idea of Mushu being taken out allows it so that Mulan feels like she's more in control of her own destiny and making her own choices. However, they replace Mushu with a far stupider device, which is that Mulan has the Force. Yeah, she's Jedi, apparently. Because, you know, a woman can't just be a good warrior. She has to have an excuse as to why she's a good warrior. Yeah, there would be no reason for her to, I don't know, be put in a situation where she needs to train her body and mind for her own survival and the honor of her family, but, you know. It's so stupid. And they also rob her of... In the original I'll Make a Man Out of You montage, she is able to get the arrow from the top of the pillar because she is smart enough to use the weights as a counterweight to get her way up. Whereas in this movie, it is literally just brute strength that all of a sudden she is the strongest guy in the army now. She doesn't outsmart anybody. Even the action... Although I will say I found the midpoint battle pretty compelling. The action was really bland because everybody fights the exact same way. There's no personality to the action sequences. It's just swords swinging around. I will say I was happy to see my man Jimmy Wong pop up in this movie. I was going to say I recognized him in there too. We should probably do video game high school. Oh man, the classic. He's getting his paycheck in, you know? 
among the other notable faces that I appreciated was, of course, you know, I have a soft spot for Donnie Yen. You know, he did a good job being the general. They've decomposited Shang into two roles, which are Donnie Yen, who is the actual general, and I don't remember his name from the movie, but the guy who's Mulan's love interest, Zima, the actor who plays her father, he's great in everything, did have such a gravity in his performance just because he's such a good actor i was like oh i'm actually maybe feeling something at the end and i was like oh wait no it's just that he's a good actor and this isn't a good movie i really like that guy too and i know i recognized him from something what what would i have known him um let me think did you see the farewell seamus Oh, yeah, The Farewell. Me and Ricardo went to the oh, premiere yes, of The Farewell. Yes, of course. I do that. And then he's also in Arrival. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two fantastic movies. So, yeah. Uh, should we move into spoilers, I guess? Sports. What's your Mulan double feature? Oh, um... Ooh. Another really interesting, like, martial arts combo here. I don't think that this movie would benefit anything from being watched in the context of the original, because otherwise you're just going to wish that you'd watched the original only. Yeah, no matter what order you watch that double feature in, it's like, you're either going to be wishing that you ended with the better one, or that you started with the better one, because you're just not going to be super enjoying the new one. I think whenever we do a double feature for a bad movie, you've got to think of it in the context of... If you're going to watch something stupid with your friends to make fun of, then how else are you going to be having fun with your friends? And I think a a martial arts movie makes sense. Like a fun romp of martial arts movie to go with this movie that you and your friends would still be able to enjoy. That is a good way to put it. Now I'm trying to think of like a little kung fu hustle maybe. You know, fun kung fu, keeping it a little lighter. Still like a two and a half hour movie for some reason. Yeah, no, but I I think we should lock it in with that. I like that. Right off the bat, this is spoiler territory now. The third thing that I liked about this movie is absolutely Mulan should take the job with the Emperor. Like a hundred percent. Yeah, right? It's like very much earned Mm -hmm. by the end of this if if anything and she's already shown how ill-suited she is for a life of domesticity i will say in the original they do such a good job of establishing mulan's relationship with shang that you know that they will be partners in that relationship and so that maybe her marriage to shang would not be as much of a prison as whoever the matchmaker would have set her up with would have been right But it still feels nice that this movie allows Mulan to reap the benefits of her own heroism. Yeah, I mean, I think I can agree with that. It seems like there was a bigger push for Disney on this one to make it a little more attached to the actual legend of Mulan. Which it is not at all. They missed the mark spectacularly in a lot of ways on that. But, you know, there there is something to her. No, because then I just, I just go back to she has just chi or whatever, and then she can kick spears and arrows like a goddamn That's ninja. That's the thing about it, is that almost every good point you can give this movie, they undo with something else, and most of that is the chi. The chi is responsible for most of the bad aspects of this film, I would say. Yeah. Also, this movie has the worst editing I think I've ever seen in a major motion picture. Can we talk about the whiplash that these cuts in the action sequences were giving me? Like, I hate to admit it, I recently saw the Halle Berry Catwoman, and it was almost like that. Like, a cut every second of a fight sequence. It, it was it was hard to watch at some the point. The action editing is bad. The basic coverage editing is bad. 
And the pacing of this movie is terrible. For a movie that's so long, it moves at such a fast <laughs> pace that it never breathes. It, literally, there's no scene where the pacing slows down and allows a moment to land. Never once. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I watched this at like 1 a.m., deliriously watching <laughs> Mulan, just like not understanding enough to follow. It's it's like a weird memory at this point. So yeah, um, if you're thinking about watching this movie, just watch the other one again. Yeah, imagine paying that premium price to see this movie. How angry Shamus, would you I'm be? I'm so glad you and I had our late night conversation however many months ago where you were like, yeah, man, we're just not going to do that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> glad I held out. Really glad that I didn't have to pay anything extra for this movie. That is a nice feeling. All right, shall we move on to our pop culture reference, boys? Let's do it. It's going to be a nice short pop culture reference today. As we mentioned earlier during our Manx segment, today's pop culture reference is going to be a cigarette burn. It's a visual indicator on a physical film print to tell the projectionist when a real switch is coming up and then a second cigarette burn to tell them when to actually switch the reels. So, you know, a reel of film, which is about 20 minutes on a standard 35 millimeter film print, there will be a cigarette burn to indicate to the person in the projection booth when to change to the next 20 minute reel. It's called a cigarette burn because it literally resembles a cigarette burn in the corner of the top right hand part of the screen. It's very subtle and it's only for about one frame, so... Most audience members, if there are cigarette burns, don't even notice them, but very important part in an actual film projector. If you've seen Fight Club, they do that scene where Tyler Durden points at the cigarette burn in the actual movie. There's not much to say about this other than the next time you see a movie on film at a movie theater, look for it because it'll be there. All right, let's move on to our pop quiz of the episode. Pop, 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 pop quiz. The scores are tied 2-2, two to two, boys. Last week, Seamus won. So, Ricardo, it is your turn to pick the category. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, your options are Mulan or Hawkeye. Uh, Hawkeye. Okay, remember... The first one of you to answer the question correctly will get the point. If neither of you know the correct answer, or you say it at the exact same time, we'll move on to our other category as the tiebreaker. The question is for the category of Hawkeye. Haley Steinfeld has been cast as Kate Bishop in the new upcoming Marvel series Hawkeye. What other Marvel hero has Haley Steinfeld previously portrayed? Spider Gwen. Oh. In what movie? Into the Spider-Verse. Thank you, Ricardo. He gets the point. I would have felt bad about sniping Into the Spider-Verse from you on that one. Seamus, you'll be picking the category next week. I'm coming back with a vengeance. I know I say that every time I lose, but... And that's been true every time you lose, actually. You know, that's fair. I've, I've got a good track record for vengeance, so we'll see you next week, Salgado. Now it's time for Mando Bros, where we break down the latest episode of The Mandalorian. This week we'll be talking chapter 14, The Tragedy. And a tragedy it was. I'll tell you what, boys. They did a really effective job with this episode. Just They had the cold open with Mando and newly named Grogu hanging out. And I was like, oh, this is fun. You know, we're on our little adventure. 
And then the second they showed that title card, I felt that impending sense of doom the entire episode. I wasn't entirely sure what angle they were going to go with that. And I might posit that there are more than one tragedies in this episode. Also, I think we have Uh, to mark spoilers right away again. I think that's true. A lot happens for the entire time past that cold open, like you said, so it's probably safe. All right, so the tragedies are Baby Yoda is captured by the Empire and also... Yeah, 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 but the (laughs) real tragedy is the destruction of my baby. (laughs) The orbital strike... On the Razor Crest broke my heart. Oh, uh, yeah, it was. I screamed out loud. I couldn't believe it. You can't bring that one to the next planet to get fixed anymore, Mando. That no. thing's. Ugh, it's done for. Which also means bye bye disintegrating rifle. Oh, man, was that in. Oh, God, you're right. The only thing that survived was the, uh, the Beskar spear. And also, for some reason, Baby Yoda's ball. <laughs> oh, well, that. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'll give it to it. It's Star Wars. I don't care. It's Boba Fett's here. Whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty huge. Boba Fett in action, actually, which mm-hmm. is amazing to see. This was also a big Ming-Na Wen week because she was coming back in this episode. And, of course, she had her cameo in Mulan. Oh, that is right. Yeah. Good for her. I, I was not expecting to see that character again. I was going to say, did they tease that when, you know, they did the Spurs walking up to her body in season one? Did they tease at all that she was alive or savable with robot parts? I don't think so. I mean, I don't really care because there have been a lot less survivable things in Star Wars that people come back from no problem. But hey, no one's ever really gone, guys. (laughs) We all know that. It's just a big, it's like, (sighs) somehow... Ming-Na Wen survived, like a big <laughs> Palpatine reveal. Seamus, talk to me as the resident Boba Fett enthusiast about how you felt about this episode. We get a lot more, like, Django and Boba backstory than we have in pretty much anything except for the Clone Wars. Yep. And even then, we don't quite get the very deep-feeling background that we do in this 30 minutes. I thought it was very cool to see him, you know, utilizing his armor once he gets it back. He's got a Tusken Raider... A gaffy stick. Yeah, that he is just ruining people with. He had his own little uh, Donnie Yen moment there in that fight scene of just, like, bashing Stormtrooper faces in. Yeah, similar to what they did with the armorer in Season 1 with her fight sequence... Also, that's something I've been really enjoying about Jedi Fallen Order, is that you actually feel like the stormtroopers are getting hurt. Oh, totally. I will say, Boba Fett, I know he's been wandering the Tatooine desert for five years or whatever, but he felt a little too competent in this for me. I appreciate that he knows that armor so well that he would be able to use it better than somebody like Cobb Vanth, like with his little knee pad darts or Mm. whatever, but... It felt way too much for me, like, empty fan service of just, like, Boba Fett's back and he's really cool. And I'm like, but Boba Fett was never cool. <laughs> I Yeah, I, you can definitely feel them trying to make up for that. Not to mention the fact that this is our first official confirmation that he's still in possession of Slave 1. Oh, yeah, that gave me chills seeing Slave 1 come down in the distance. Love that. Fingers crossed we get some seismic charges next episode. 
Ooh, that I can oh, I can hear the noise already. <laughs> and we get confirmation that Django is a foundling, so the Fets are Mandalorian again. Big news that they can officially confirm. And they kind of open up with that, they open up the realm of maybe some Django backstory that we will get one day of his time with the actual Mandalorian. Yeah, that could be interesting because I don't know, it feels again a little like empty fan service like oh yeah, of course the Fets are Mandalorians. Why are you talking about? Of course they were always Mandalorians, guys. Come on. Otherwise there would have had to have been a very sudden showdown between Mando and Boba Fett, which is what I was halfway expecting after the big reveal at the end of the first episode this season, but I yeah, I was going to say I will let it slide just because this way it allows Boba Fett to continue helping Mando and not have to have a weird armor showdown. Though this does take away the possibility of Cobb Vanth getting the armor back in the finale, which makes me a little sad. I was going to bring up that there is now possibility of some fun bickering banter between Boba and Cobb once they're all on the same Magnificent Seven team. That's very, very true. Uh, I saw a tweet, I don't remember if I sent it to you guys or not, that says the Mandalorian is just a story of a guy that can't stop making best friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's gold, kind of. I mean, there's, it's so accurate. Let me credit the account. We're responsible. Yeah. Okay, it's Jim Does a Star War on Twitter, at ObsKenobs, O-B-S-K-E-N-O-B-S. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, he he barely even has a choice at the end of this episode of like, I well, I promised you that the the kid would be safe, and you now have a crew with a dope ship. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go pick up Kara, and she may or may not be on board because I guess she's now a marshal of the New Republic. Oh, that's right. Yes, Baby Yoda, he's he's reaching out through the Force with that weird tool force around field him. Thing. Were you a little surprised that the Dark Troopers were robots? Yeah, Am I thinking they're of a like different the... form of Dark Trooper? Yeah, they're they're Ultron bots <laughs> and not Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. That feels like a pretty underwhelming reveal to me. Those were the troopers that it was like the stinger at the end of the episode with Gideon. Yes. On Navarro and... the, the end of the Navarro episode. And I remember everyone was like, oh, are they clones? Are they going to be like uh, purge troopers? Is it going to be something with transferring the force more? But it is just kind of like super battle droids almost that easily go pick up Baby Yoda and kidnap him. Also, I've had this thought, this isn't about this episode specifically, but I hadn't even thought this until this week when they were talking about Dr. Pershing. Could the clones that Dr. Pershing was working on at the Navarro site possibly be Snoke prototypes? That is an interesting point I see floating around now, too, is that they're, like, maybe working on that angle of the Palpatine scheme of making Snokes or whatever. It'd be interesting to get a little more background on why that was a thing in the in the sequels. But- also, before we move on too fast, I was watching the final Hunger Games movie last night, and Dr. Pershing is one of the main soldier guys that's with uh, Jennifer Lawrence the whole movie. Oh, really? Very interesting. I I very much appreciated that, and I should probably learn his real name. Okay, I'm not exactly sure how to say his name, so I apologize in advance, but his 
name is Omid Abtahi, it looks like. Well, shout out to Omid, because he is very good. So yeah, I, I don't think we have much else to talk about Mando, other than I'm excited to see where the next episode takes us. Yeah, me too. I'm excited for Mayfeld again. I like his backpack pistol gun. R.I.P. Razorcrest. Yeah. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give our weekly recommendations. Garrett, what do you have for the rec center this week? Well, uh, I just recently watched on Hulu a movie by documentary filmmaker Kitty Green. It's her first narrative feature called The Assistant. I think you can also stream it on Canopy. And it is a slow cinema look into a day in the life of a new-ish assistant at a production company in New York City. She is the assistant to the studio president who is unseen for the entire film. But you kind of start to put pieces together that maybe there's something more sinister going on with him than the busy schedule that you would assume a studio head would have it's really good it's a nice slow burn understated cinema for sure with a great one scene performance by matthew mcfadden i think it kind of flew under the radar it technically came out last year but i think it it only did a couple of festivals so it's relatively new i think it's only been streaming for a few months now wow that sounds really interesting very very powerful stuff my rec center this week is actually stemming from, you know, it's finals season right now. It's kind of wrapping up the semester. I'm doing a lot of work, and I need, when I work, I need music that I won't get distracted uh, from the lyrics of. So I found this YouTube channel, My Analog Journal, and it's basically just a top-down view of a double turntable DJ setup. And it's strange and interesting vinyls from all over the world, from, you know, like, 80s Japanese city pop to, you know, Soviet jazz vinyls to African grooves. It's just really great, probably, music that you've never heard of before, that you'll never will hear of again. And it's just really good mixes of music that are great for focusing, great for just chilling out it not too distracting and it's genuinely very interesting to just watch uh the videos of how this guy does his you know sets back and forth between these these vinyls he's got set up so my analog journal i think that wraps us up for today's episode of pop culture reference if you want to reach the show you can tweet us at pcr underscore podcast find us on instagram at that same handle or give us an email at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com Make sure to subscribe if you're not already subscribed. Give the show a like. Review us on iTunes. Yeah, join us next week. Adios, amigos. You do say that, Seamus. That's something that I've picked up. It stuck with me since, like, first grade Spanish class. We'd all say adios, amigos at the end of class, and I say that constantly. And I feel really uncomfortable doing it to new friends that I make with, like, Latin American descent because they don't know i should stop recording maybe yeah me too